Welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast, bringing you the latest in health and technology through interviews with disruptive startups and leaders. Subscribers get a new episode every Thursday at 6pm, and I'm your host, James Somerville. Hey everybody, this week we are talking about public health, and we're talking about getting populations fitter and healthier. And so my guest this week went from being an investment banker to selling watches to then becoming a health tech entrepreneur. And he is Sean Azam, and he runs finance, operations, and a whole lot more at Sweatcoin, which is a UK-based health tech company on a mission to leave a mark on the world by helping every single person on the planet to be more active. And what Sweatcoin is, is it's a digital currency and it's backed by physical movement. So what they do is they verify and convert movement into currency, which users can then either donate to charity, transfer to other people, or spend on products, services, and or experiences provided by Sweatcoin's vendors and user community. So Sweatcoin tackles present bias by moving the future benefits of exercise into the here and now so that you can exercise and see the benefit straight away. In January last year, they raised $5.7 million in a seed round led by Goodwater Capital with the likes of Greylock Partners and Seed Camp and other people coming in. And previously, Sean built a consumer brand in his spare time. He built that to a six-figure business. As I say, he worked at a global investment bank. He traded government bonds, advised some of the largest companies in the world on corporate strategy. So if you want to get in touch with us or indeed Sean, head over to the description of this episode. You'll find links to websites, socials, emails, so enjoy. So Sean, welcome to the HS Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing, mate? Really good, thank you, mate. Thank you for having me on. You're very welcome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Sean? So from our offices here in London Bridge. Very nice, very nice. Good part of the world, that. I used to work around there at my first accelerator, which I believe you guys are part of at the moment, um, digitalhealth.london. So I know that. I know the part of the world very well. I used to get plenty of lunches from uh from borough market far more than i should have done and so <laughs> left that accelerator with not as much money as i thought i would have done after being paid there i did exactly the same thing <laughs> um cool man so obviously we know each other a little bit but mate for the benefit of our listeners why don't you tell us a bit about your story yeah sure um so jez i guess the story starts um probably back at back at uni so my mum always wanted me to become a, a doctor um, and I was never into that. I was no good at biology. I was always quite businessy. <laughs> um, I, was, I was that kid who'd always like buy used textbooks and then sell them to the next year group who's coming in nice. to do their studies. Um, you know, just like buying new stuff and selling it on. Um, always just trying to make a bit of pocket money. Mm. I was like, that's not really for me. Um, so somehow I managed to get onto a degree course. I did some, I did chemical engineering actually um, over at Bath Uni. It was a heck of a lot of fun. Just chilled out for a few years, partied, and then all the while I was carrying on doing my business little endeavours on the side, like teaching people how to use computers um, and all that kind of thing. It was a heck of a lot of fun. And then after uni, I had to get serious, get myself a job. Managed to get into uh, a finance job over at Goldman Sachs in the city. Spent a little time there, which was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, really intense. Almost like those um, 
kind of like the films that you see. It's a Wolf of Wall Street, Boy in the Room as well. <laughs> what, it was actually like that? Without kind of all the all the crimes, but all that. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a lot of the um, yeah, jumping on the phone and everyone shouting and lots of, Fast lots paced, of energy. Yeah. Fast-paced, that's the way to describe it, yeah. Um, and so I enjoyed that a lot. And then I decided I needed to learn a little bit more about actual business and how they run and how you can build big businesses. So then, um, then joined another big consultancy firm uh, called PwC, uh, and I spent uh, God knows how many years there. And so I learned about businesses because there's a lot of fun working with these big companies. But then I always had that kind of itch of, of trying to build out, start up, and, and grow it. And at the time, actually, in my in my part spare time, I was really into watches. So. Okay. Yeah, that's just kind of my, my passion. I just loved watches. And so at one point, um, I think it's like on a drunken weekend, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to start designing them. Um, I'm going a bit off topic here, but <laughs> at first, I was like, sorry, do you know what? I'm just going to start putting put pen to paper. So me and a couple of mates basically just started designing some watches. They're like, let's get them made. So literally sketched them out, got on the phone to a bunch of factories out in China. I'm like, look, can you make these watches for us? And um, like, I wasn't really expecting anything, but then they're like, okay, we'll make them. Um, we got some samples made and they actually looked okay. Mm. They're decent quality, they look pretty good. So I was like, okay, this is actually quite cool. Then I quickly threw up a website on, on Shopify, um, had a little checkout, to accept some payments, and then basically built a little brand that I thought was quite cool. So we called it Vici after Veni Vidi Vici, nice. which was uh, Julius Caesar saying, oh, I came, I saw, I conquered. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that sounds quite, quite cool, might appeal to some people. And then, yeah, started selling some watches. And then that was going really, really well, taking up a lot of my time, and I was enjoying it. And it was taking up my evenings and weekends, but more than anything, I was like, crack do you know what, this is a heck of a lot of fun. A lot more fun than what I was doing at the time, which which was kind of reports for my boss's boss's boss. Of course, um, yeah. Yeah, and then I was like, actually, I don't really want to be a small cog in a massive machine. Mm. I want to have the ability to try and do something which could change or help people's lives. So anyway, at the time, I was like, okay, let me try and, try and find a cool startup that I want to be a part of. And then I was like, okay, let, let's do this. And then that brings me to Sweatcoin. And, and what I'm doing today. That's awesome, man. And I think it's, it's such a relatable story. I think, you know, that realization that if you continue down that kind of rat race model, you're always going to be that, as you call it, a small cog in a massive machine. And I think it's interesting to me that you have that background that so many successful entrepreneurs have, which is as a child, you were buying and selling and you just had this instinct to hustle, make money, sell things. You know, it's, it's such a similar, it's just a similar background to, to so many people that I have on this podcast. And my question here then is that when you realized that you didn't want to be that small cog in a massive machine anymore, I think partly having that background of yourself is it's almost it's almost confirmation that you're going to be okay in the entrepreneurial world, you know, knowing that you could buy and sell things as, as a child and growing up and all through your life, particularly then, you know, the experience that you had with the watches and things. 
But then when you decided, okay, let's find a cool startup to be part of, I'm sure there's lots of people listening that are kind of at that stage now, you know, even, you know, things like escape the city, you know, the website where people are just trying to get out of that into something new. I mean, that's obviously one avenue for people, but what, what would you say to the people that are, that are trying to then find that cool startup to be part of? How did you go about it practically and what advice have you got around that side of things? Yeah, that's a really interesting one actually. And it's probably quite scary for a lot of people because yeah. There's so much out there and there's so much like unknowns, there's uncertainty, which is inherently quite scary. The advice that I give, and it's something I did myself, literally just get yourself out there. So I mm. try and attend as many networking events as possible. They're all over the country, uh, lots and lots of meetups. And literally start talking to people and offer to help them. Uh, every single one of us and all the listeners will have a skill that will have value to a startup. And what I started saying to a bunch of startups, like, look, do you need any help with your financials or your modeling or anything to do with my kind of background and skill set? And then from that, you get talking to people and they might give you some experience and insight on what they're doing. And that yeah. just builds out your network. And then you're in a much better place to make an informed decision about what you want to do. I could not agree with or advocate for that more. That is exactly what I did as a clinician, exactly the same. And I, <laughs> I started, well, I started doing quality improvement projects in the hospital and just trying to solve little problems through technology, ended up starting to speak to a lot of startups and, and other technology companies and things. And then as soon as I kind of had that door opened, I just, again, realized that I was a clinician with an interest in technology at a time where very few clinicians did have an interest in technology and so even just as you say just offering to help and it's so funny you know with the things that they needed then it was just explaining to them how a hospital worked explaining to them like what the training of a doctor looked like explain you know all these things that were just so easy for me to do that i had no idea would have added value in the sector but actually as as you quite rightly pointed out it just gives you an, an in to those people. You end up helping them and then you're just collecting favors. You're in, you're in such sort of positive equity in terms of what people then need, can offer you. And it's an interesting point about meetups and networking events as well, because I traditionally absolutely hate networking and I'm somebody with, with quite a big network across health tech now, but you put me in a room of people that I don't know and I just want to leave. I'm really good one-on-one, -on -one, but again, I completely agree with you that actually going to those meetups and even just speaking to one or two people for, for the other naturally introverted people out there is just, it is just so valuable because it's like the, the, the premise of, you know, you, you always take one meeting, right? Always take a meeting because you never know. It's that thing. If you've got a choice of, do you go to a networking event or not just go? I remember actually, I, I went to the launch of Microsoft accelerator, um, way back when, and I, almost didn't go so nearly didn't go but because i went i then met alex so i co-founded hs with and here we are so you know a nice anecdote and n equals one in this study i suppose or n equals two in, in terms of definitely going network because yeah. you never know but the amount of you, you make your own luck i think is where i'm going with this and i think if you can always put yourself in the right place at the right time it can it can really draw dividends and clearly it did for you with with sweatcoin it's, it's so true, James, because also um, one thing I would say, when you're thinking about going to these events, it's easy to think, do you know what, I'd rather just go to the pub yeah. or go home to Netflix. But yeah. I think that's because people have the expectation that they're going to get 
15 different contacts and they're going to get a, you know a job offer or something like that but just don't get expectation you'll, you'll, you'll speak to two people you'll get two email addresses and then that's it yeah such a good point yeah. and have to start with 15 different uh, leads just just start nice and small yeah really good point and again and again i think i would have probably gone to more networking events if i had just been a bit kinder to myself because as a naturally introverted person that did not enjoy just speaking to every person in the room i think i could have taken the pressure off myself to just be like yeah just collect two email addresses and just offer offer two people some value and then leave you know it's it's a i think it's just a really good step for for people looking to make a career change move into health tech which there are no defined paths into health tech at the moment you've got to make those paths yourselves you know there's, there's no i mean there are a few degrees and things you can do in computer science and data science that all certainly put you a front of the queue for this sort of thing but i think you know for, for as you say you know people in management consultancy people in finance the people that are clinicians you know the path is not well trodden to move into health and health tech so um yeah it is it is about an initial bit of hustle even if you're not a, a born entrepreneur i think it definitely requires that to get to get in in the right in, in the right place so Sweatcoin then, do tell me about it. Tell me about how you how you joined, what the company was like at the time, and what you did in those early days. Yeah, sure. So it's, again, it's a bit of a weird story. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of hard to believe because at the, going back to what I was talking about, the watches. When uh, when I ordered about, I can't remember how many it was, like a thousand of these watches, it was something yeah. like that. They um, they came over from China in these massive boxes. And literally, James, I um, had to stack them up in, my, in the corner of my bedroom. <laughs> and I was showing a flat at the time, so like the space was kind of at a premium, so I was just shoving them everywhere I could. So I had these thousand watches. I was like, God, I need to flog them now to really try and sell them. And so I was calling up retailers, calling up all these different news websites to try and cover up, um, trying to work out Facebook ads and Google ads. You really threw yourself in at the deep end, didn't you? (laughs) Let me just order a thousand watches and I'll figure out the sales pipelines later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you know what? I think the the Chinese factories saw saw me coming. (laughs) Minimum order quantity. (laughs) Yeah, at least a thousand. And I was quite naive. I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so at the time, um, there's a tiny brand new app that had come out on the app store called Sweatcoin. And they had like a few thousand users. And the concept of the, of the app was really, really simple. It's you walk, you earn steps, and then you can buy things with those, with those steps that can be converted into points. Yeah. Um, and so they were looking for brands to appear on the marketplace. So when users earn their Sweatcoins through walking, they have stuff to buy. Oh, interesting. So this is how you got in there. Exactly. So I sent um, an email saying, look, we're this very well-established watch brand. <laughs> We've seen what you're doing. We wouldn't mind being associated. How about we have a call? Um, <laughs> and then obviously I kind of just picked this up a bit. I was like, look, we can offer this, offer that. Um, and, then, <laughs> and then that was it. We kind of had our first couple of campaigns on Sweatcoin. It went really well. Um, so yeah, I'm the sort of guy who would just go in and try and meet people, try and develop some relationships. I guess it's a little bit old-fashioned. I prefer face-to-face and like just trying to develop a nice relationship. So then over the course of a few months, we'd go out for drinks, we'd go out for dinner, and um, 
we developed a great relationship. And then I said at the time, well, look, I'm probably going to move on from my current job of being a tiny cog in a massive machine. Mm. And um, the guys were like, okay, why don't you just come join us? There's not many of us. We're really small right now. But please get involved. And then literally, Jones, the next day, I uh, went into went into work, um, handed in my notice to my boss, and the rest is history. That's amazing. Just one thing there as well, that we all call doing business face-to-face old-fashioned and old-school. And it's funny, isn't it? Because I'm like you. As soon as I've met someone in person and I've built some sort of like in, like human relationship with people, I'm far more likely to actually enjoy not only working with them, working for them, doing business with them, whatever you want to call it. But I just, I just feel so much better about the relationship once I've met people in person. It's just funny that it's, that it's considered old school. I suppose it's in the context of like tech, isn't it? Like you and I are now talking on, on a recorded Zoom call and, and I suppose it's not in person. I suppose that's, the, that's where it's come from. But yeah, it's funny to me that it's old school because I'll tell you what, it bloody works because <laughs> I'm far more likely to do business with people if, I'm, if I've met them. Well, James, and also it's an excuse to go out for a beer. Completely agree, um, mate. <laughs> Completely agree. Completely agree. So, Sweatcoin then. So when you when you walked in the door, and like awesome story by the way, the fact, the fact that you went in, you know, via your super established watch business with all of your thousand watches piled up in your hallway, brilliant, love it. But when, so when you joined Sweatcoin, it was te- what was it? Ten people big, I think you said on our last call. Yeah, actually, I think we're not, probably a bit smaller, like seven yeah. or eight. Really? Yeah. What was it? What was it like then? I mean, was it? Were, were they in a small office? Whereabouts was it? What was the vibe? Tell me all about it. Uh, James is actually really quite funny because um, we're in a WeWork. Okay. And how it works at WeWork, they charge you for each desk that you have. Yeah. So theoretically, we're eight people, um, so they would charge us like eight times whatever, like four hundred quid. Mm. I probably shouldn't be saying this, but what we did <laughs> is we had like two or three passes and we'd all just try to sneak in. Brilliant. Um, so that's what we do. We'd You're going to get an invoice in, via email now <laughs> from WeWork. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd sneak, we'd all just sneak in and then just share a couple of desks, get our laptops out, and it's all just frantic, all hands on deck. And then none of us had like specific roles or specific remix it's just everyone to try and grow the product yeah and get it into the hands of, of, of our users that, that was the focus and so tell me then i know you briefly explained the product but tell me in detail what the product was back then when you walked in and then compare it to what it is now yeah so so james when when i first joined we were a heck of a lot smaller so we we're about when we had less then like a million users so really mm. really really quite small so to put it into context now we're over 40 million users around the world wow so it's, it's gotten really big um and as you can imagine now we're a lot bigger all the products and services that you can buy on the app are a lot more attractive so now we're working with big brands like amazon and tidal music and back then i guess the product was heck of a lot simpler so yeah some of the functionality was more more limited um, whereas now you can donate to charity, you can set personalized goals, you can um, set aside money for your friends and family, um, and there's just a whole host of, of, of more things to do. Wow. And so long story short, then, I, me as the user, I, and bearing in mind, my girlfriend uses it, and she's used it for quite a while now, and she's... Um, 
yeah, she, she's got quite big goals to get a, a, a nice thousand pound cash payment in like three years <laughs> from using it. Um, so, so really good goal setting from you guys because she's like massively aiming for that. But just for the people listening, in a nutshell, you download the app, it measures your activity and depending on how much activity you do, you get points, i.e. sweat coins, and you can use those sweat coins to pay for stuff, whether that's sports equipment or various bits and bobs, right? Exactly that, James. What we're trying to do is convert your walking and your steps into real world value because what we believe is that if you're more active, you're healthier and so you are a a benefit to society as a whole. Mm. That's the basic premise. Which makes complete sense and obviously means that you're bordering, if not firmly embedded in the health tech sector as in that's your definition you know you can quite easily be described as a health tech company i mean it's it's also consumer i suppose it's you could dress it up a lot of different ways but ultimately it there's a public health angle isn't there because at the end of the day if you're encouraging a population to be more active and be more healthy you're going to reduce the downstream health effects that they would have got had they have just been couch potatoes and so I suppose that is how you are kind of interacting with the health system on that kind of public health benefit. Yeah, you've summed it up really well, James. Basically, like, if you think of some of the apps that are out there that are free to download, like WhatsApp or Instagram, yeah. Facebook, the reason they're popular is that they're free to download and they're fun and yeah. they're engaging and they're rewarding. And I think we kind of are trying to access that space as well. So as a user, the, the app is free to download and you go on it, there's, there's a lot of gamification, there's goals, there's targets to hit. And so there's no reason why over the course of a few years, we can't get to that really, really big scale. Because yeah. that's our target is to be, be global, get in the hands of everyone. So our mission statement is literally to make the world more active. Nice. And in terms of that, how far are you along that goal right now? How many countries are you in? Yeah, so right now, I think the latest count is uh, is 42 countries. Oh, nice. It, it, yeah, it's a, it's a good start, James, but we want to go absolutely global. Yeah. And so we've touched on it briefly then. And so what is the business model from your guys' perspective? And how do you guys make money and cash in because obviously it's free to download people are getting healthier so you're saving the health system money down the line i'm sure that's one thing that we'll talk about in a little bit but how are you guys milking the cash cow in the middle yeah that's that's an interesting one so it's a question we get a lot uh, <laughs> obviously <laughs> um so it's actually quite simple so the, we have loads and loads of users so 40 million users so the brands that appear on our app they actually really, really want to show their products in front of all these, all these users. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so if you're a Nike, for example, you'll come to us and then you'll say, look, we want to show off our new range of trainers. Here's 10,000 pairs of trainers to distribute to your users. Nice. Um, and we'll also pay you for the privilege of, of doing that as well. Interesting. Which means it's great, great for Nike because they get to promote their, their products. Uh, it's great for us because... We have things that distribute to our users. And then also it's good for the users because they have some targets. Uh, they have these cool products to, to, to purchase with their sweat coins. And also these brands are also promoting our similar values around being more active and being healthier. Mm. So it's like a triangle. It's like win, win, win. Mm. 
and that's 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 the business model right now but it's a short-term business model okay we have long-term ambitions as well and that's what you touched upon how we create value because people are healthier which is benefit to the nhs and healthcare uh, as a whole nice and i imagine insurers fit in there as well don't they exactly that so if you're healthier it's it's important to a few groups of people it's important firstly to yourself secondly to the people who treat you and take care of you so that's the nhs yeah and thirdly it's the people who ensure your health um so health insurers and life insurers and so if you're healthier and you can prove that you're healthier then you shouldn't be paying as much for your health insurance kind of follows simple logic absolutely um and until now until now there's not been a way to to prove that mm. hopefully our app can can help bridge that gap nice and are you working with any insurers reinsurers yes yeah, so we're quite fortunate actually so we signed some deals now with one of the biggest reinsurers in the world actually so they're out in the in america oh, wow. they're called hanover re yeah and uh well, yeah we do, we're doing a big big project with them um and you know, really looking forward to seeing what the results are because I think the potential was massive. Which mm. I'm really, really excited. It makes sense. I mean, it's really clean, isn't it? As a model, it, you know, you, you prove that you're healthier. You can drop the premiums. But everybody's happy with that data being shared. End of story. Really, it's 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 just quite a nice, neat, neat model. Onto a less neat model. You you mentioned the UK National Health Service, which is not renowned for its ability to uh, <laughs> to engage new technology in a nice clean model however there are obviously ways to make it work so tell me what you're doing there yeah so we're, we're quite fortunate so you're your old stomping ground at the digital health <laughs> london accelerator they were really kind enough to accept us onto their program and they've helped us open a lot of doors into the nhs um, and managed to win some uh, small projects within the nhs and it's really exciting and it's something just from a personal aspect that I find super inspiring. Yeah. Um, so if you can imagine right now, if the app is, 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 is generic, imagine if it was personalized to your needs. So if you're young and you're into, into football, your needs are very different from someone who is just come out of arthritis or battling an knee injury. Yeah. It's pre-diabetic. Or something along those lines, and the app can be personalised and tailored for specific demographics. And I think that's just so powerful because we generally have the power to to change these people's lives on, mm. on a massive scale. And, and, and it makes it more sticky, doesn't it, for the users involved? I think so much of what's happening in digital health at the minute is just lending itself to personalization just as you mentioned just because you can and actually as you quite rightly point out if i'm going to open the app as a well my birthday was yesterday so 33 year old guy now if i'm going to open the app as a 33 year old guy so, so yeah it, 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 with thank you mate thank you but yeah, if, if I'm going to open it as, as, as the age I am with the interests that I have and I'm going to be engaged with all that stuff and you're showing me loads of like new, I don't know, tennis rackets and, and stuff that I, that I can use, obviously I'm going to be far more engaged and I'm going to be far more motivated. So yeah, I completely agree with you that, um, that the personalization of it is, is going to be key for you guys. Are there any kind of, I guess, patient groups that, that this is more applicable for? I mean, I'm thinking off the top of my head, like preventing diabetes and things like that. Are you guys doing stuff there? 
specifically? Yeah, we are actually, James. Um, now you mention it. So pre-diabetes, I think it's a huge one. Because <laughs> that really short, sounds like I planted short. the question, but <laughs> I definitely didn't. <laughs> yeah, it does actually. <laughs> we just happen to be doing that exact thing that you mentioned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's funny because with pre-diabetic patients, you have a short window in which you need to walk more and be more active and eat better. And then you have the potential to avoid becoming diabetic. Yeah. And Definitely, so yeah. we're working on a project in, in South London, the Southwest London Health and Care Partnership in Merton. Yeah. And the idea is to roll out a version of Sweatcoin to a, a subset of, of users and patients who are pre-diabetic. Uh-huh. And I'll get a specific version of the app um, with really cool local rewards that are tailored for each and every single one of them. And then there's also a few videos to watch on healthy eating and, and walking outside because it's good for your mental health. Yeah. And everything's just personalized. Mm. Um, and I'm um, yeah, just super excited. So from a health economic point of view as well, obviously spending, spending a bit of money on those patients for, you know, Mert, if, if Merton as, as, a, as a region is going to spend money, if they're going to spend a bit of money on that group, you know, they're going to be looking at a mega saving down the line if it just prevents a few people getting diabetes. I mean, my my suspicion would be is that it would be quite effective, actually, and, and more effective than that. But even if it was minimally effective, you've still made such a gain in the health economics just simply because your intervention is is so so efficient, really, because I want to say cheap, <laughs> better way of saying cheap. But yeah, it is it is just an efficient, um, efficient intervention. So I can see how the health economics might might stack up pretty well there. Yeah, that's that's the thinking, James, because right now, even even with diabetes, it's that's the biggest spend in the NHS. Yeah. Um, and that's just one example. I think I'd love to have this rolled out for people who are suffering from arthritis or who have mental health issues and they're suffering from depression physical mm. activity is one of the biggest um kind of treatments to, to help with depression and i'd love to get this in the hands of people who are suffering from those issues mm. um, and their lives can be transformed uh, as dramatic as that sounds i genuinely believe it yeah and how, how do you see sweatcoin being used then for the, for those different groups i mean do you, do you see it in a in a similar way do you do you see it as basically the nudge to exercise is that is that how you see it or is it more or less than that do you know what it's, it's an interesting one i think even a nudge to exercise is a bit too scary i yeah. think what i want sweatcoin to become is a nudge to be just a little bit more physically active Right. Just take a walk instead of um, catching the bus two stops. Just walk yeah. for ten minutes, and and we'll reward you with a, you know some some coupons to grab a cup of coffee or a bag of fruit after you're done. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting that because I I traditionally hate anything that tells me what to do. So particularly, it's the reason I don't wear an Apple Watch or a Fitbit because I just hate the notion of feeling watched and held to account by this like bit of technology that I will just over time just learn to hate. However, where you're positioning this is obviously it's not there to hold you to account to, as you say, exercise. It's, it's mm. there to just encourage you to just be a little, it's to give you an extra bit of choice. It's actually to kind of provide, it's actually to provide you with the choice. That's how I, that's how I view it. It's just saying, 
it's asking you the question, do you want to ride the bus those two stops or do you want to just take the walk? Okay, you want to do two stops, that's fine, on the bus. And that's actually, that's, that seems more appropriate to me because, it, again, it's not holding me, me account to something I don't particularly want to do. It's more just reminding me and then just allowing me to make up my own mind still. So I'm still the master of, of, of my own life, which, which feels a bit more, it feels a bit more appropriate for people like me who don't want to be told what to do. It's so true, James. So um, it's quite funny because the average life of a Fitbit is is forty two days. Interesting, is it? And um, I say this in my in some of my kind of pitches and presentations is that Fitbit is like the nagging wife because <laughs> it just tells you, oh, you've not walked enough, walk some more. Whereas what we're trying to uh, to make sweatcoin is like a mate of yours is just like actually, if you want to walk, it's great, and and you'll get a cup of coffee. Or, or, or fruit for doing that nice tell me about the evidence behind this so i'm gonna you know play devil's advocate here about evidence are you guys doing anything academically to sort of prove that this works i'm sure there's there's so much that we've kind of glossed over here and we've made i suppose a lot of assumptions about certain elements of behavioral science and, and things with this, which this obviously touches and well embraces really and, and relies on are you guys looking into that from an academic perspective looking at the behavioral science involved and the behavioral change necessary uh, and are you are you changing things with the product that way are you looking at the the results and doing any kind of academic analysis and things and changing things that way i mean how do you guys approach all of that stuff yeah it's a really interesting one james because I guess at the start of my journey, we were focused on, on on just trying to grow and develop product features and make that really fun and cool. So I didn't even think about that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it's only until we were reasonably big and we had some good data that we thought about, okay, actually, are we actually really making people walk more? Is yeah. This, is this working? Are we doing the right thing? Do we need to change things up a bit? Um, and so we were quite lucky in that we got a grant from Innovate UK and they, we applied together with the University of Warwick and their Institute of, of Digital Healthcare. So Dr. Mm. Mark, Mark Elliott down there is, is an expert in, in this field and health tech. And uh, Mark Elliott and, and the team at Warwick, they did a big study on uh, over 6,000 of our users looking at before downloading the app and then after six months after using the app, what was the impact on their level mm. of walking? And the results were well brilliant um so if the the study found that our app helps people walk 20 percent more each day even past six months wow which for us was like an incredible validation that right guys a, bun- a bunch of a bunch of people in the room have created a product which actually does help people um, yeah that was probably the proudest moment for for, for all of us that's really cool. And so I think, you know, with that being sustained month on month, that's the most important thing, isn't it? Because as you, as you quite rightly point out about the, 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 the lifetime of, of other devices like Fitbits might be about a month. If you're sustaining things month on month, that must be, you know, a really important factor, particularly when you're then trying to convince whether it's local authorities or public health teams, you know, whatever it is that this is a good idea to roll out to a population. I think it's, it's super important knowing the stickiness and knowing that at a population level, you know, 6,000 users is a, is a decent amount of people to do that sort of study on. It's good to know that, that it is sustained month on month and it, it must open doors for you when you're having those conversations. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question, James. Um, did you ever use Pokemon Go? 
<laughs> I never used it. No, I saw so many people using it in very weird spots across London, <laughs> just <laughs> chasing things down. But yeah, what an incredible public health initiative that was without meaning to be. <laughs> exactly. But the, the reason I ask is because now, have you heard of anyone actually still using it? Um, <laughs> no, I've not. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's the problem with a lot of these things is after a while, they lack the, the engagement. And that's what we've tried to solve. So something that is continuously changing and it's fresh and it's, it's kind of rewarding at the same time. Yeah. Which, which, yeah, makes, makes absolute sense. And so I guess, yeah, again, playing a bit of devil's advocate here, Christmas coming up, most people's thoughts go to big dinners, turkey, time off, two weeks of that going to the gym. What are you guys doing about, I, I don't know, are you doing any kind of campaigns to, to, I don't know, walk off your Christmas dinner and things like that? I mean, how, how are you approaching Christmas? Because just, just from like the fitness industry, we know that, that things really do take a, take a downward plunge over the holidays. So yeah, have you guys got any plans for, for, for that time? <laughs> it's, it's really interesting because I, I, I love that kind of time of year. It's, really, it's a big excuse to just eat. <laughs> yeah. Sleep in, just just relax. Watch now. Home Alone. Yeah. Watch Home Alone for the fifteenth year in a row. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great time of year. Um and for us it's actually one of our busiest times of year because our app it, it has it's it converts your steps uh, and then you can spend them on with Oh of course, things. of course. So actually right, yeah. So, yeah, so there's a big, big link to Christmas and shopping and festivity and buying yeah. things for your friends and family. And um, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but um, we have a bunch of new product features being released and, and a brand new version of the app. Oh, cool. Which is going to be released in the middle in, in December. So keep your eyes peeled. Um, I'm very, very excited. The whole team's been working super, super hard on, on releasing that. Um, so that'll be coming out in December. Lots of new features features lots of new ways to, to spend your sweat coins so it's very exciting awesome so before we start wrapping this up mate i mean i've yeah awesome work by the way before i go any further i mean it's it sounds like you guys have j just the growth is super impressive and i think i want to ask you about this actually so in terms of how you've grown as a business and and particularly you know with with your role in the company as finance when did you guys raise money what was your what was your last raise what was your last how, how much did you raise and what, what kind of whereabouts are you with growing the team and growing the company and and yeah just tell me a little bit about the growth of, of things yeah so um we we're quite lucky in that at the start of 2018 we raised uh 5.7 million dollars yeah it's a big big sum of money and then we used that to to grow our team from about 10 people at the time uh, to right, right now, where we're past kind of 55 people. Oh, wow. So you guys are um, pretty big now. Well, yeah, I, yeah, but we have planned to grow even more, right? Um, this is just the beginning for us. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, we went from like two countries to 42 countries. Mm. And then two million users to now where we're past 40 million. Mm. Um, so, so that it was kind of a huge growth curve. Um, which were yeah we're quite we're quite fortunate, but hopefully it's just the start. And are you guys? Uh, I guess are you flipping into profitable anytime soon, or are you guys going to raise again? What's what's the plan there? So yeah, James, actually right now we're quite fortunate in that we have a, a really sustainable business model. 
Yeah. Not raising any any funds, um, and so we're self self sufficient, um, which is actually quite a privileged position to be in, and something we don't take for granted. Um, a really, it's a really good position to be in. I I, I think particularly in the context of health tech. I think you know also in the context of people needing to do these subsequent rounds just to before they do flip into profitability. I, I think with your guys offering and what you guys can do, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great position to be in and it gives you that freedom as well. Right. And, and control and, and all the other things. And yeah, it's a, uh, I mean, even I'm guilty of it, especially when I write for Forbes and, and for people that I come on the cult, uh, come in on the podcast about, you know, glamorizing big races of money as if that's, you know, the most important thing. But actually, you know, <laughs> you guys having a really sustainable business model, I think that needs to be celebrated more than anything else. You've achieved a really good model in healthcare. It's a B2C model, sort of, in the, in the sense that the users are consumers. But actually, you're making money B2B via the brands that are paying you to be on your platform. So congratulations is what I'll say. And I think you guys have done really well on that. Thanks a lot, James. Yeah, um, I couldn't agree more, I think these big raises are, are, are great, but um, they shouldn't, they should never be the focus. The focus mm. should be on is the product working? Do users like mm. it? And is there a sustainable business model? Um, but the problem is, I think with a lot of companies, they don't talk about those things because they're private and they don't want to yeah. tell the outside world about it. What they can tell the outside world is about their big, big rounds. Yeah. It's a really good point yeah it's a really good point and you know as i say i'm guilty of it for you know a few things that i've written for forbes just it's easy because it's big clickbaity numbers and you'll get views on the article and all these different things i mean when i when i do that i do like to take a real deep dive into what the company's actually doing and try and at least plot for myself whether there's a route to profitability and actually a good business model behind what these companies are doing i think it's so 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 important but yeah the fact that you guys are really there i mean yeah really really good work from you and i think if you can build on that with all of the healthcare stuff that you've mentioned particularly you know these models with the public healthcare system and you know privately with the insurers and things like that it seems that the the growth might not stop here right it seems that you've got ambitions to as you say be be pretty global and and most countries in the world Absolutely, James. We, I want to get this in the hands of, of every single person around the world because um, even if it can just help people by a little bit, I think it's, I think it's huge. So modern technology, it, it makes us lazy. Deliver, mm. uh, delivery, ordering food to your couch, even things like those electric scooters, they're all designed to make us more lazy. It's a convenience mm. lifestyle. So hopefully we're, we're trying to create some technology which is, which is going to be good for people. That, that's the aim. It's, it's funny, I almost bought an electric skateboard the other day just because it was going to make my journey to the train station like five minutes shorter or something. And I just sort of caught myself and I was just like, what the hell are you doing, James? Just like leave the house five minutes earlier and just walk, you moron. Like it's going to do you better because the way you're going to do that in your life. It's crazy how, you know, technology, just, as you say, just often makes you default to laziness. But yeah, I, I'm in healthcare. I should be taking a long-term view. I could make the argument that the electric skateboard is a public health measure. Um, it, it, you know, prevents me using my car potentially. 
but yeah i, I think that's a weak argument <laughs> so i'll probably i'll probably just walk right let me get sweat coin and then just walk and then i might convert it into some tennis shoes or a racket or something <laughs> i think so mate <laughs> <laughs> awesome dude mate it's been a pleasure having you on um thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed the chat uh, the way that we end these podcasts is I hand back over to you to just kind of summarize a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Sweatcoin, what you guys are up to, and then any asks that you might have of our audience to close it out. So over to you, dude. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thanks for having me on the show, James. It's been been great uh, getting to have a, a good conversation with you. You're very uh, welcome, sir. Yeah, and, and uh, to all the users out there, I guess coming up to Christmas, hopefully Everyone has a great Christmas with their friends and family. Um, check out our, our new app because I think it's going to be quite exciting and hopefully some really, really exciting things going on. Um, and yeah, check it out. Um, and hopefully it's going to help you. Awesome. And Sweatcoin is available where? Available on the Apple Store and Android Store. Free to download, no obligations, really easy process. Download in a few seconds and you're, you're away. Awesome. So for everybody out there exercising, download the app, collect your points, collect your sweat coins, convert it into actual stuff. If you're already exercising, why not get it anyway? If you're not exercising, then get it. It will ask you the question and give you a few options and it won't tell you what to do, which is what I quite like about it. Um, Cool. So dude, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to find you? Do you have a LinkedIn? Do you have uh, an email that people can, can grab? Yeah, I do. So um, uh, my LinkedIn's open. So it's just Google my name, Sean Azam. Um, also, I'm on email. So Sean at Sweatcoin. Um, so sweatcode.in. Um, yeah, happy to take any emails and help out in any way I can. Awesome. And for all of our listeners, I will put the links to Sean's LinkedIn and emails in the description of this episode. So Sean, thank you so much for coming on, dude. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, wish you guys all the best. Thanks for having me, James. Hey, everybody. And thanks for listening to this week's episode and making it all the way to the end. If you enjoyed it, remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow us on all of our socials so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.